So this morning, I want to follow through with the message that we were looking at on Paul the Apostle, and in particular, we're going to look at the conversion of Paul the Apostle. We were looking at his call, and we looked at it, remember, the day after Heritage Day, and I was trying to pull out his heritage and looking at how this great man of God viewed his heritage. And he wrote amazing verses of scripture that is our Bible today that help us understand culture, help us view culture in a healthy way. And so what I want to do this morning, I want to touch on some of the things we shared two weeks ago, but I want to build on from that. And we're going to look at the story of this man's conversion, which in the book of Acts occurs three times. There are three full accounts of his conversion. And folks, you know, when things are repeated in Scripture, you've got to ask yourself, Lord, why are you emphasizing this? What is so significant about this man's conversion? Or is it the conversion experience, Lord, that you're emphasizing it so much to us? And we're going to unpack it, so welcome on the journey. Lord, I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you, Lord, you, you said to Jeremiah that you watch over your word to perform it. God, as I bring forth your word, and Lord, as scriptures come on the screens, as we read, as we hear your word, God, watch over it to perform it. Holy Spirit, you birthed these words. You inspired Paul the Apostle and Jeremiah to write these words, Lord, thousands of years ago. Lord, breathe on those words today. Lord, as we read them, as we hear them, as we receive them, bring life, Lord. Bring life on your word. Holy Spirit, that's what you do. You bring life. You bring revival. Lord, may every word be revived in our hearts as we read them, even though we've read them a thousand times, some of us. Bring them alive in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so... I want to just start off with the background that, and cover some territory we covered. So remember, Paul had an amazing heritage. So on the next slide, God's providence in preparing Paul may be seen in the advantages he enjoyed in the culture of his day. He was a world citizen. And then why do we say a world citizen? This is his background. He was a Jew living in a Greek city of Tarsus with a Roman citizenship. So in his world, in that world today, the three main cultures that he engaged with was Roman culture, Greek culture, and Jewish culture. And look at how God had prepared him. He had all that in his background. So I want to, you know, my inspiration is, you know, so, so often we want to throw the baby out with the bathwater in terms of especially wrestling with culture. And trying to understand how do we do, I'm a Christian now, I'm a follower of Jesus, my Bible is my, is my manual for life, but I've got this cultural background, how do we navigate it? And Paul shares such amazing truths. And I love the fact that he was sold out to Jesus, planted many churches, wrote chapters and chapters of scripture, but yet God still used his cultural heritage all his understanding, God used that um, to advance the gospel. And I want to say this is so true. We're going to unpack this a little bit more. So I explained this to bring it to today. How would we see a present day parallel to Paul the Apostle would be a man who, on the next slide, okay, speaks Chinese to philosophers in Beijing, quoting Confucius, writes closely reasoned theology in English, and then expounds it to the theology professors at Oxford University in England, defends his faith in Portuguese before the Brazilian Academy of Sciences in Rio de Janeiro, <laughs> writes encouraging letters to humble believers in churches he planted to build them up in their faith and help them live God-honoring lives. Folks, those statements are exact modern-day copies of, of this man. And I also want to encourage you, you, you say, oh Lord, you know, I studied that years ago. Or I'm busy studying this. How are you going to use this? Lord, folks, just look at how the Lord used Paul's background, his heritage, his training to advance the gospel in so many different places. You don't know where God's going to take you. And let me tell you, God may use things in your life that you think, and, I, and, and this is what I love. You know, those places where the devil came in and just really messed your life up. God's a specialist 
in using you to bring deliverance and healing and hope in those exact same places in people, in other people's lives. He loves to destroy the devil's works in other people's lives in the same places that the, the enemy tried to steal, kill, and destroy in your life. It's just so beautiful. So God's going to use it all. Paul's heritage on the next slide. But this is what he said. This is how he viewed his heritage. How do you wrestle? I'm a Christ follower, but I'm a Jew. Uh, you know, growing up in a, in, a, in, a, in a Greek city, and I'm a Roman citizen. What do I do with this? This is what he said. Yet, Philippians 3 verse 7 to 8. Yet all of the accomplishments that I once took credit for. Remember, he was trained as a Pharisee, which is like PhD level training. I've... I've now forsaken them and I regard it all as nothing compared to the delight of experiencing Jesus Christ as my Lord. To truly know Him meant letting go of everything from my past. To, to, to truly know Him meant letting go of everything from my past. Folks, who was sharing? Somebody was sharing a test me up here this morning about, I'm trying to think now, it's a blur. About letting go of something and then God uses the very thing you let go of. You know, simple, simple illustration. You've heard Jenny share and me share our testimony about how we came together. You know, Jenny initially kind of thought, hey, that dude called Jacques, he's, he's sort of marriage material. You know, I'm, I'm putting it, she didn't say it that way. But I'm, I'm interpreting what was going on in her head because I know that girl, okay? I didn't switch on to that fact for quite a while. When she released me and us, we weren't even going, we were friends, we weren't dating. When she released the prospect of us dating and, you know, things happening, when she released that, that's when God started speaking to me about her as, you know, this is marriage material. And there's something about when you release things to God that allows God to work in those very areas. And how much more our culture? You know, for some of us, you know, there was a time that, you know, I would, to use this strong language, you know, die for my culture and my heritage. And many people are like that. I mean, wars are fought even on the planet today to defend culture and whatever. But folks, you know, you grow up and you wise up and you think, why was I so passionate about that? Does it really matter in the grand scheme of things? But you know, it's when you let it go that suddenly God opens opportunities for you to minister to people from that, from that very cultural background that you're willing to die for. God says, I can now use you because it's not shaping your identity and your value and your worth. I value your culture. I value your heritage. But don't let that become more important than Jesus. And we see these amazing words that Paul says. And on the next slide, I just I summarized it with these words. God could use Paul's heritage and cultural background because his identity was not locked into it, but into Christ. God wants to use all aspects of our heritage and cultural background, but we need to surrender, need, need to surrender it to Jesus. Folks, that's the key. That's the key. So we want to look a little bit, now I said this morning we're speaking about Paul's conversion. And on the next slide, the crucial importance of Paul's conversion to the history of the church is a test to the fact that the Holy Spirit caused three full-length accounts of the event to be preserved in Scripture. And I put it up there in Acts chapter 9, Acts 22, when he was speaking to the Jews in Jerusalem, and then Acts 26, when he was in, in front of King Agrippa in Caesarea. Folks, I had, let me just tell you, <laughs> relax, I had 39 slides for you. I do not have 39 slides for you anymore. Because these, I was like, no, well, maybe I'll share from you know, the Acts chapter 9, firstly, and then the Acts chapter 9, I had like four or five slides just actually. Then I read, to, uh, to, uh, you know, Acts 22, and I thought, no, no, this is actually better. And then I, you know, and then in the end, I ended up with mostly 26, but a bit from chapter 9. So anyway, I deleted some brilliant slides for you guys. No more than 20 slides. We've already done five, so just relax there, okay? There were 20 brilliant slides that died this morning. Rest in peace. Yes. Rest in peace. Yeah. Thank you. I like it when people help me preach. That means somebody's listening to me. Thank you, Rebecca. Okay. Now, what I want to share this morning is 
from Acts 26 about Paul's conversion. Now, um, we, it's over there. There's so much we can learn from this. And I'll just, let's just read and I'll unpack it. Acts 26, verse 12 to 18. Now remember, in this account, he's in, in front of King Agrippa in Caesarea. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus. So this is, remember Luke, Dr. Luke is writing Acts, and he's quoting uh, the words that Paul is speaking to this king. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. Now, as I said, I wrestled with which account to put in. In Acts chapter 9, he literally it writes there, Luke writes, that he went with murderous threats. Um, he went to go and, folks, he went to go and murder Christians. That's what he went there for. And we read, remember two weeks ago, we read the account of when Stephen was stoned. And the Bible says a young man, Saul, was standing there looking after the people's uh, clothes, garments, who were stoning him. Saul loved to see guys getting smashed with rocks. I'm like, folks, I mean, nobody's sitting here like, well, I don't know about you. I don't like if there's a fight, I want to stop the fight. I don't know about you, okay? I mean, most Christian folks are like that, okay? Imagine standing there and seeing an oak getting rocks hurled into him and like approve it. I'm like, wow. That's, now I'm saying this because that's his intent and he thinks he's doing God's work. He thinks he's like, I'm on a mission from God. So he gets these letters to go to Damascus to basically arrest Christians and stone them. That's what he's doing. And then it describes, in 26, why I put it here, it describes this, this encounter with Jesus, folks. Folks, midday in Damascus, Damascus is, is, is Syria, it's desert area, midday. Do you know how bright the sun is in the desert at midday? I mean, you can't look at that sun with the darker shades on, okay? Like through your hat, you don't want to look at the sun. And it says that there was a light brighter than midday sun in the desert. Sure. Folks, talk about Jesus in His glory being radiant. Folks, and, and you'll see, He saw this and He was struck with blindness for three days. I have no doubt. I mean, you look at the sun midday in the desert, you and I would be blind just from the sun. Imagine something brighter than that. I... I just, just imagine how bright that bright must be. I mean, and, and that light, you know, one of the things, there's a lot of things Paul doesn't share about his conversion. But folks, think about encountering so much light when there's so much darkness inside of you. I believe that that light just, just must have just chased so much darkness out of his soul. Chased so many questions out of his soul. Verse 14. We all fell to the ground. And I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic. Now this is significant. This was like the common language of the day. You know, Jesus didn't speak in a high He didn't speak Greek or, you know, Latin, which was the Roman language, which is the educated language. Folks, he was speaking the everyday language of the day. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, folks, just in those words, firstly, when there's a massive bright light in the sky and it addresses your name personally, how many of you say, <laughs> listen, okay, <laughs> if you called me by the wrong name, I may duck under something and say, okay, maybe you, but, but folks, I want you to know Jesus knows your name. Do you, have you heard Jesus whispering your name? Folks, it is it's amazing to your Jesus call your name. If you have never heard Jesus call your name, maybe that is something you should pursue. I want to encourage you, silence and solitude before the Lord. Who knows what Jesus would say? Sometimes just hearing Him say your name is just, I'm undone. Lord, you don't need to say another thing for a couple of years. It is amazing. Folks, 
You know, one of the greatest desires of people is to be known. To be known. You know, when God calls your name, there's something about that that you just know He knows. And there's such peace in being known, being understood. And, and you know, with God, it's being accepted the way you are. But remember, He doesn't leave us that way. He changes us. This encounter with Jesus changed Paul. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Folks, Saul was going to arrest Christians and kill them. Folks, he was looking for people like you and me to kill them. And Jesus said, why do you persecute me? Folks, the Bible reveals that we are the body of Christ. This verse confirms that if somebody persecutes you, they're persecuting Jesus. And you know, there have been times in my life where I've experienced, let's just say opposition. Persecution may be too, too strong a word. Where I've experienced opposition because of, let me just say who I am, and I don't want to unpack that. And there's been a conviction inside of me like, they don't know who they're messing with here. I do not need to call down fire from heaven or pray any scary, hairy prayers, you know, like David prayed, prayed for smashing their teeth in. I don't need to do that because they don't realize in opposing me, they're opposing Jesus. And Jesus sees, and there will be divine consequences in the grand scheme of things. Folks, there always are consequences. And there are times, you know, understanding that the reality that, you know, when God says vengeance is mine, that is such a scary truth that is contained in Scripture. Taking vengeance, holding on to hurt, holding on to things. Folks, do you know you actually close the door for divine justice in the grand scale of things? It's incredible, Jesus said, why do you persecute me? He was, see, he's, Jesus was there, remember, when Stephen was persecuted, Stephen looked into heaven and saw Jesus standing. Jesus knows if you and I are facing opposition, Jesus sees it, he knows it. And it's scary to know those people who oppose us, the consequences they face, I don't know what it'll look like one day. Sometimes, honestly, I don't want to know. But Jesus sees Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Then he says this, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now it's interesting, that phrase, Dr. Luke writes here in, 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 in chapter 26 of Acts, it's not a, it doesn't occur in chapter 9 and chapter 22. And because of that phrase, I thought, I want to unpack this, this phrase. So just like when you tell a story, sometimes you, don't, you say certain aspects. Of it. it's, not, it's not lying or anything. It's just in various contexts, you bring out various aspects of the same story. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Honestly, I want to swear. How many of you say, if I say to you, don't kick against the goats, you look at me like I'm really weird because you haven't got a clue what I'm talking about. Can I tell you, I didn't know what this meant for a long time. Hallelujah. Stella is the honest. We have one honest person in church today. Thank you for coming, Stella. Thank you. <laughs> what does it mean to kick against the goats? Well, it's a metaphor that comes from Israel that was actually an agricultural society. And what is kicking against the goats? When they would herd particularly um, animals. Now, sheep are easy to herd. But goats are hard to herd and even today in many areas when you herd cattle you use goads and what is a goad a goad is simply a long stick that is sharpened at the end so that when you're trying to get that cow or for you zim guys mombi okay down down wherever and he doesn't want to go down because you you prod him with a sharp stick and that, that cow says, okay, <laughs> I hear you, I'm going that way. And goats are incredibly hard to herd as well. They're just stubborn. 
So it's a, it's a term that shepherds of animals would use. They sharpen a stick to prod, the, not to hurt it, not to injure it, to damage. Just to say, listen to me, uh, you know, Mr. Goat, Mr., Mr. Cow, go that way. Now the picture, and it was a metaphor. It's like, you know, we use metaphors today. Like we say, sure, it was raining cats and dogs. Have you ever physically seen it rain cats and dogs? But we all know it means that it was a hectic down, downpour, okay? Now imagine 2,000 years from now, you know, somebody reads your literature, your, your journal, you know, where you say it was raining cats and dogs, and they're like, oh my goodness, there was a supernatural storm of cats and dogs. No, no, it's a metaphor. You often get that in Scripture. And if you don't understand these metaphors and these figures of speech, it just passes by you. So kicking against the goad, can you imagine... You're a goat or you're a cow and there's a shepherd trying to prod you to go that way and you are kicking against a sharpened stick. Do you realize you can really hurt yourself? So it was a, it was a statement when, when, for example, your teacher, your parent, your boss is trying to say, listen, please, can we go this way? Please, would you <laughs> tidy your room, you know? And you're kicking against your mom and your dad. No, I won't kick my room. <laughs> And their consequences, okay? So that's what kicking against the goats. Folks, it's quite a scary picture. Jesus is saying this was Paul the Apostle's heart towards him. Jesus has been trying to call him, you know, bring him closer, and he's kicking against God. You know what it is? It's a picture of rebellion. You know, you and I, I think, would be surprised at our capacity for rebellion. You know, that's the essence of what happened when Satan was kicked out of heaven. It's the essence of what happened in the Garden of Eden, is rebellion against God's standard. Folks, rebellion causes you and me to get really hurt, especially if you're rebelling against God. I mean, any authority, you'll get hurt. Rebelling against authority will cause you to get hurt. But... And the picture is kicking against a goat. When you kick against a sharpened stick, you're going to get sore. And so it's, it's, it's an interesting picture. And it's interesting that only in this account does Luke write this aspect. And it could be, now remember, Luke was basically traveling with Paul on his missionary journeys. And it could be that as they were journeying, Paul shared more and more about his conversion. And so Luke could share more in his writings. Verse 15. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? Ha. Folks, this is a guy who doesn't believe in Jesus, who wants to kill Christians who believe in Jesus. His response is, who are you, Lord? Lord is kurios, master, supreme ruler of the universe. The first and, f and, and far above any second. It was a really big word. For him to say, who are you, Lord? you can see there's already a conversion occurring in his heart. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Um, let's read on. But now, and I'm, now uh, I'm reading, I'm just switching to the message, it just it puts it better in the next slide. But now, up on your feet, this is Jesus speaking to him, it's read. I have a job for you. I have a job for you, folks. Remember that we have been talking about calling. You know, David said, it says in Acts about David, after David had served the purpose of God in his generation, he fell asleep, he died. Folks, if you are living and breathing here right now, and you believe in God, I want to tell you, you're here because God has a job for you. I don't know what it looks like. Maybe you are in an office environment, and you say, oh God, I've been here too long, I want to get out of this office, I don't like this office anymore. But there's a work colleague there that maybe a year from now or three from now, they're going to hit a crisis and they're going to know you are the one honest, true person they can talk to who will speak the truth to them. Maybe you are there because you're on a mission. You are there for somebody else. I have a job for you. The first thing, folks, purpose is from God. You get with God, you get a sense of purpose. I have a job for you. Every one of us. Those words are from Jesus. God has a job for you. I've handpicked you to be a servant and witness to what's happened today and to what I'm going to show you. 
That truth about being handpicked for. Folks, we looked at how God chose Jeremiah. Remember when we did the calling? And, and uh, the calling of Jeremiah and how God uses it. Paul is using the same words that the Lord used to Jeremiah. I have chosen you. Walking with a sense of being chosen is so significant. We draw such worth and value from the say, you are not a mistake. I don't care what your parents did around your conception. In God, there's no mistake. You were hand-chosen. I've handpicked you to be a servant. And I just love that. He's the mighty apostle Paul to the nations, etc. God says, I'm your servant. I've called you to be a servant. And that is how most of the apostles refer to themselves mostly is I'm a servant of God. Not I'm the big apostle man of God with all the uh, power for the hour. I'm a servant. A servant and a witness to what's happened today and to what I'm going to show you. Folks, what's a witness? A witness sees things and communicates what they've seen or experienced. And isn't that what the Holy Spirit's job, one of the main jobs the Holy Spirit will come on you so that you can be a witness, so that you can authentically and truthfully tell other people the things about God that you've experienced, that you've heard, that you've seen, etc. That's what a witness is. This Christian life really isn't difficult. Just authentically communicate whatever He's shown you, etc. That's what witnesses do. And to what I'm going to show you, verse 17, I'm sending you off. To open the eyes of the outsiders. Folks, to open the eyes of outsiders. This is a universal call on all Christians. Sure. To open the eyes of outsiders so they can see the difference between dark and light. You know, some people, you know, the Bible speaks about your conscience being seared. When your conscience is seared, you honestly cannot tell the difference between, between right and wrong. I recently was getting, uh, I was just speaking to my wife. I got a guy to help in the garden. And I, he came to my house and he was telling me all about himself. I was asking him, like, can I, one of my biggest things, I just want somebody that I can trust. Because, you know, you're working in my garden with my tools and close to my family, etc. I need to know I can trust you. So the day before he came, he came late afternoon, so I said he must come the next day. And... He told me this whole story about himself, where he comes from, everything, everything, and I said, okay, come tomorrow morning. The next morning, I, I want to know more about him. Because there were two or three things that he said to me the next morning about his life that I was like, you just told me a totally different thing last night. <laughs> and I was like, I don't think this guy even realizes how much he's lying, how much he's making things up. You know, this scripture, it says, help people see the difference between dark and light. I, I was saying to Jen, I, I don't know if he actually even realizes how much he was lying to me. Now, I just have a way. I mean, the night before he said he stays over in this place on that side of Peter Maritzburg. Next morning he comes and I'm taking him to work and, and he says, no, I, I'm staying over here. I'm like, <laughs> where do you actually stay? <laughs> night before he's coming there. Oh, you know, I don't have any jersey. I'm cold, etc." Next day, he's wearing a really nice jersey. <laughs> like, did you just go to the shops between 5 p.m. and 7 a.m., you know? And there were just a number of things, and I was struck by this guy. Actually, I don't think he even realizes that he's lying. Or he, his, his concept of, I don't know. He says over here that they can see the difference between dark and light and choose light. Folks, we are there so that people can choose. That people can choose light. And see the difference between Satan and God. Folks, that, sometimes that is how stark it is. The path that people are on is you're actually following Satan. <laughs> and that's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. He said, you're following Satan. Satan's your father. And to choose God, twice he says that you may choose light and choose God. Folks, giving people, just opening people, opening a door for people to choose light, to choose God, is one of the greatest privileges on earth. Just all we're doing is opening the door. There's a door before you. It's surrender your life to Jesus. People don't even know that door is there. They don't know how to open the door of their heart to receive Jesus. We are basically saying to them, there's an, there, you can open the door 
Will you open the door? I'm sending you off to present my offer. Isn't that beautiful? I love how the message puts it. To present my offer. Of sins forgiven and, place in the fa- and a place in the family. Inviting them into the company of those who begin real living by believing in me. Who begin real living by believing in me. Folks, that's where real living starts. Believing in Jesus. Oh, I just love it. I can just... Uh, folks, you need to have a quiet time around just that scripture there. Uh, that's actually the message. But it's so, there's so much truth in that scripture. So on the next slide... Folks, we are reading about Paul the Apostle's conversion. But can you see that at his conversion, God was speaking to him about his ministry of leading other people to a conversion experience? Right there, God was saying, Jesus was saying, Paul, this experience, this blinding light, this voice talking from heaven, this is your new life. You are going to be inviting people. You are going to be opening the options to people. This is your new life. And if you wonder why conversion, Paul's conversion is so important. Folks, Paul wrote, I just remember, 13 books of the New Testament. He went on three missionary journeys plus the journey to Rome, which is another another missionary journey people do believe, four missionary journeys, planted 14 churches, etc. But folks, it all started with this conversion. And, and from chapter 13 in Acts is all about Paul's journeys, travels. You wouldn't have the rest of Acts, 13 books of the Bible, if this conversion didn't happen. Can you see this door, Paul's conversion? It, it's literally changed the world. We are, Paul's, the scriptures that he wrote have influenced societies across the world for 2,000 years. I'm telling you, if this conversion didn't happen, the world would be very different today. Now, I'm sharing this with you that, folks, let's not, let's not minimize the need to lead people to the, to the open door of receiving Jesus, of leading them to a place of coming to know the Lord. Well, and I'm talking about conversion. Conversion is an allegiance encounter with Jesus. That's what he had. And what is allegiance? The next point over there. Allegiance is a commitment of loyalty and faithfulness. Paul was not following Jesus. Who are you, Lord? Boom. And Jesus said, I am Jesus, the one who you are persecuting. In that moment, things happened in his heart. And he committed allegiance to Jesus. What is allegiance? Allegiance is a commitment of loyalty and faithfulness to, to a cause, someone, etc. That's what it is. In that moment, this is what happened. Allegiance to Jesus. A commitment of faithful and loyalty to Jesus. That's what conversion is. Folks, you know, over the centuries, the church really struggled with how do you become a Christian? Folks, this, we we must never lose sight of the importance that Jesus wants people to be converted. To come into an allegiance encounter. Come into a commitment of faithfulness and loyalty to Jesus. That is what, that's the door that unlocks everything else. It's so important that we get it. And just to summarize, in Bible language, at conversion, there's repent, we repent and believe. Repent and believe. Those are the two Bible words. Repent means to turn from the way you were going. And believe, pisteo, means to put your whole heartfelt trust in someone or something. Okay? That's what it is. Let's go on. A conversion can come through. So there are various ways that people can be converted. A truth encounter, i.e. a gospel presentation. Somebody presents the God. That's what happened to me. In high school, I, w- I was sitting in assembly and, and a Youth for Christ team came and presented the gospel on slides and it made so much sense to me. Like, now I understood why Jesus died on the cross. I didn't understand it before then. A truth encounter, gospel presentation, answering or asking questions. Didn't you just love Amu's test me over here? About just answering and asking questions to people. Folks, don't underestimate the power of either listening to somebody's question or asking a question. 
It is a door that can unlock a world. And I just loved Amu's heart saying, I'm so looking forward to sitting with this guy, meeting with him, and listening to his questions. And she's upright. She doesn't necessarily have all the answers, but Jesus does. Amen. But you know, sometimes, you know what I said about wanting to be known? Sometimes people are like, I have these questions. If, if only somebody would just listen to me. Sometimes people don't actually need you to answer the question. They're just like, can I just, would you just listen to my questions? Okay. Or and a direct challenge. That's also a truth encounter. Come through a direct challenge. A power encounter. For example, healing, prophecy, miracles, and Jesus himself. Okay. Paul had a power encounter with Jesus himself. Jesus appeared to him. Many Muslims in Muslim nations, they don't have Christians sharing the gospel. They don't have truth encounters. Literally, they're praying. They get a dream of Jesus. They just have a, have a Jesus encounter. It's the, the supernatural signs, wonders, and miracles, folks, are there, folks. Primarily, we look on the mission field. It is to reveal God to people. We need signs, wonders, miracles. We need people to be converted. Amen. Wholeheartedly born again. We need signs, wonders, and miracles. And, and then the next point, a relational encounter. For example, living letters, you and I. Just nudge your neighbor, living letters. That's you and me, okay? Pastor's talking about you right now. Recently, uh, we heard a test me about a Satanist high priest that came to the Lord. And I read this test me, and Jen and I were trying to remember where we saw it. And his test me was that he had an encounter with a child, an eight or nine-year-old child. And the thing that impacted this hard, and this guy was, I don't know, he was a middle-aged guy. Sir? I, I can't hear you, sorry. Was it a Belito? Yes. The thing that impacted him was this love that this child, that radiated to him, that came towards him, the love that this child showed him just blew him away. And he actually became a Christian before that. You know, maybe it's your love. Maybe it's your kindness. You know, some people are just so kind. You know, I mean, I think of, I mean, Auntie Trisha sitting at the back there. But you know, I mean, I've heard people just, she is so kind. And, and Trisha was sharing us, she said, one of the, her favorite things is she loves to ask people about their children. People love talking about their children. She'll just ask about them, just listen. And they, they, you know, they're like, oh, wow. She loves me so much. <laughs> she does. But she is showing an interest in your children. And people are like, oh, well, I love anybody who shows interest in my children. For folks, relational encounters. A life crisis. For example, sickness or injury or loss or disappointment. You know, they say that most people come to the Lord. Like something like 80% of people come to the Lord uh, before their mid-20s. But after your mid-20s, most people come to the Lord through a life crisis. And sickness, injury, loss, disappointment, etc. Folks, maybe God has got you in that office because six months or six years from now, He knows somebody's going to experience a loss and they won't know, they won't know who to go to except to you. And you're going to, maybe it's not something you say, it's just your attitude of listening to them. Folks, and I put ETC, two ETCs at the end. Let's not limit God on how He can bring people to conversions. But folks, we need to be aware. Can you lead somebody in a truth encounter? Can you share the gospel with somebody? Well, we are having outreach training next Saturday. That's quite amazing, eh? Wow. Okay. Can you share truth with people? Do you know how to lead somebody in a, in a power encounter? Can you pray for somebody for healing and have faith that they'll actually get healed? You know, relational encounters, folks. Do you know how to engage with somebody on campus? Would you be able to go with Amu? And would you be able to talk to someone you've never met before and talk to them, engage them, and have a significant spiritual conversation? Folks, it's not rocket science. This is normal Christianity. And are you able to be there for people when they go through a life crisis? Folks, these are doors into eternity for people. This is what happened to Paul the Apostle. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died in our place. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he's the Son of God and offering the gift of salvation to all who 
repent and believe in him. There are those words, repent and believe in him. Turn and put your wholehearted trust in him. That's what it's about, folks. I want to put up this about the salvation prayer. You know, what's that door? What's the door? The door is saying, will you pray this prayer with me? Now, I like to, to call it a salvation prayer. Some people refer to it as a sinner's prayer. The sinner's prayer or salvation prayer is a Christian term for a prayer that is said when someone wants to get saved, be born again, repent and believe in Jesus. Take your pick, all of the above. Romans 10, 9 verse 10 says, if you declare with your mouth, speak. That's why, why do we get people to pray a sinner's prayer? The Bible says if you declare with your mouth, okay, we get them to pray. Jesus is Lord, okay? The essence of a salvation prayer is Jesus be my Lord. It can, if that's all they pray, it's okay. You, there's a lot more you can pray. There isn't like a standard recipe. You might, but the essence is you making Jesus Lord of your life. It's an allegiance encounter. A commitment to be loyal and faithful to Jesus. Jesus Lord. And believe in your heart. Okay, You're actually believing the words you're praying. And believe in your heart that Jesus raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For it's with a heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Just beautiful scripture. The heart and the mouth together. When you are praying a prayer that is coming from the heart, Jesus hears that prayer, answers it, boom, you get saved. What's an example of a salvation prayer? And folks, I'm putting this up. You know, I was just, there, there are a hundred different versions of it. You know, don't get hung up by the exact words. But folks, you know, my prayer is that every single Christian will be able to say to a friend when they face that life crisis, they say, I don't know what to do. I don't, know, I don't know what life is about. And say, can I pray a life-changing prayer? Will you pray a life-changing prayer to surrender your life to Christ? That you may discover purpose. That He may come into your life, bring healing and life and hope. Will you pray this prayer? Folks, this is the prayer. Every single Christian should be able to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I confess my sins. And ask for your forgiveness. Please come into my heart as my Lord and Savior. Take complete control of my life. Help me to walk in your footsteps daily by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for saving me and answering my prayer. Folks, I want to say this about the salvation prayer and on the next slide. Millions have come to a saving relationship with Jesus through church services, friends and family, leading them in the salvation prayer. However, it's not the words in a prayer that saves us. Jesus Christ alone has the power to save through faith. Folks, let's not, you know, it's like, it's like signs and wonders, you know. Bill Johnson says, you know, you see, what does a sign do? You see the sign. Uncle Walter puts the sign. There's a sign up on, on Jesmond Road. Oh, no, it, what is it? It is. What's this road here? Linda. There's a sign and there's another one up top there and there's another one. You see, you want to come to church and you see the sign. Oh, and you see the sign, and you stop over there, and you start worshipping at the sign. And you know, for some people, it's that they worship the sign. No, 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 the sign is pointing to a greater reality. That church is just close by, around the corner. Okay, get to church, worship there, okay? Don't stop around the sign. Folks, I want to say something. People are like salvation prayer, and it has to be like this. Oh, and I forgot this, this part of the prayer. No, 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 no. God looks at the heart, and the essence is allegiance. Has their allegiance shifted? Are they now devoted to Jesus? That's the bottom line. I don't care what words you use. I please use your mother tongue if you want to. Please forgive me if these English words don't do it for you. It's an allegiance. Has your heart shifted from following a thousand different paths to I'm following Jesus? That's the prayer you want. And yes, you want to say, forgive me and cleanse me. All the good stuff that happened at the cross. Jesus Christ alone has the power to save through faith. It's not the prayer that saves. It's the repentance and faith behind the prayer that lays hold of salvation. Overemphasizing the salvation prayers often obscure the primary instruments for laying hold of salvation, which is repentance and faith in Jesus. That's the essence is what's happening in your heart. You know, some people say, oh, just, okay, just stop talking. Pray this prayer. Pray this prayer. But folks, is their heart in it? They are still crying because they've experienced a crisis. Let them cry. Let them get their hurt out. And then say, are you ready to pray a life-changing prayer? Can you put your heart in? Do you mean, will you mean this prayer? It's so important. I want to I finish with, skip the next slide and just go to the next one. This is the Apostle's heart. 
in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 19 in the Message Bible. This conversion experience, folks, look how it impacted him and his life. And remember, we started off looking at heritage and his heritage. And he's a Jew growing up in a Greek city with Roman citizenship. He's got all this cultural baggage. And look his heart of how he's using it to lead people to Christ. Even though I'm free of the demands and expectations of everyone. Folks, you are free. You, you are free of, well, let me say, are you free of your culture? He says, Paul says, I voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Wow. Folks, he's free. But he says, I have chosen to be a servant to people. In the original language, it's actually a slave, which is like serious servant level. That is like down there. He says, I can do anything, but I've chosen to become a slave of people. Why? Verse 20. Religious and non-religious. Meticulous, moralists, and loose living immoralists. It's like the whole scale. The religious dude, the irreligious person, everybody. Verse 22. The defeated, the demoralized, whoever. Folks, that just about describes every one of your family and friends that you have in your life. Do you realize that? Every single work colleague is covered by this, what Paul's describing here. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ. It's a beautiful You know, keep your bearings when you are navigating. Keeping your bearings when you're looking at your compass. You know the direction you're going. You're not getting lost. So he's not taking on this Jewish culture or Roman culture or Greek culture to, to get lost. He's focused on Jesus. But he says, I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearing in Christ. But, and I've bolded this, I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. Oh, folks, this is Bible. I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. Folks, if, you, if your cultural background is Zulu, you have a unique opportunity to enter into the world of Zulu-speaking culturally uh, birthed people of that and really experience their life without losing your bearing on Christ. Do you understand the blessing of your cultural background? There are, uh, I mean, 15 million, I think it is, that's the number, people in this country who have Zulu culture. If you have grown up in a Zulu culture, folks, you can enter into those people's world. You just have a potential mission field of 15 million, million people just because you have a Zulu cultural background. What a blessing. What a blessing. It can be a burden if that's your identity and your worth and everything. It, but folks, if you surrender that to Christ, you've got a mission in front of you. Why do you think God birthed you in a, as, a, as a Zulu or as an English-speaking person or as an Indian-speaking person? Folks, God wants to use all of that. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. It's beautiful. This is the great apostle, planter of churches, and etc. This is his heart. Verse 23. I did all this because of the message, the gospel. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. I wanted to be in on it. How many of you are saying, Lord, I want to be in on this. I want to be in on this. Sure. Guys, I don't know. who Did somebody chuck extra slides in here? I cut out half my slides and I keep on looking. Are you guys adding extra slides as I'm preaching over there? I'm, I'm kidding. Okay. Sure. I thought I could get through these slides. Okay. But this is so good. This is so good. This is so good. This is Amu good now. Okay. Amu shared this with us. Journeys to Christ. The word sown. It's so, such a beautiful acronym. Amu. Amu's, it's, this is, she's busy working on a book about this. Um. <laughs> Don't you love this? Here's an acronym. This is describing the different places people are. Paul describes the irreligious, the religious, etc. This is... Amu's modern translation of that verse, okay? You get the skeptical, who's like, eh, not sure about this Jesus thing. You get those who are open, I can talk about it. 
Those who are wondering, like, sure, you know, is, 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 is this Jesus thing for real? And the near, like, I, I really, I, I know there's more. I know God is real. I just don't know how to get to know Him. This is where people are at. But as Amu was sharing this with us this week, folks, this describes all your family, friends, and colleagues. Each one of them, you could probably fit in one of those categories. But you know, one conversation with them could move them one step closer. They may not go from skeptical to near, but maybe you listening, as Amu's going to listen, maybe her listening to this guy's questions is going to move him from being a skeptic where he's like, uh, not sure, to I'm open. Wow, maybe there's more to this Jesus thing. Maybe, this, these are four steps of people coming closer to Jesus. Are you okay to have four spiritual conversations with people? Would that be too much for somebody who has been transferred from darkness to light, who's been given eternal life, who could never give back to God as, because he's given so much to you? Do you think you could engage with people to move them a little bit closer to Jesus? In Colossians, he says this, Paul says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Passion says, walk in the wisdom of God as you live before the unbelievers and make it your duty to make Him known. Make it your duty to make Him known. Let every word you speak be drenched with grace and tempered with truth and clarity. For then you will be prepared to give a respectful answer to people who ask about your faith. A respectful answer. Proverbs 11.30 it says, Human souls is wise. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 19, Now even though I'm free from obligations to others, I joyfully make myself a servant to all in order to win as many converts as possible. This is the result of his conversion experience. His conversion experience was so life-changing. He was like, I want everybody to have this. We hope you've enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit our website at www.hispeoplepmb.co.za And for more of our messages, visit our YouTube and SoundCloud channels, as well as other podcast platforms. If you would like to contact us, please email us at hispeoplepmb at gmail.com or send a message to 061-452-0877. To join us for in-person services, visit us at 154 Burkett Road, Scottsville, Peter Maritzburg. We hope to see you soon. God bless you.